uh, 2.30 will be the, the, the uh, two sessions in the afternoon. And then Sunday, uh, we will have uh, two or three sessions, depending on what time we begin. So we're, we're trying to uh, nail down a, a starting time, probably at 5 uh, on Sunday. And uh, if that's the case, then we'll have probably two or three, two, two sessions for sure, and one that's kind of a question and answer session. So, um, and and we'll, have, we'll hope to have one on Saturday as well. So, uh, again, that's uh, Wide as a Gate, uh, Standing Fast in the Last Days. Our speakers are Carol Matriciana, uh, Warren Smith, and Ray Youngen, and uh, Greg Reed. And uh, so, encourage you to pray uh, more than anything, pray for this conference. And then this, we- this weekend, we're going to have a, a video, a little bit of the video of, of the, the first Wide as a Gate uh, series uh, to give you a, a little bit of an idea. And then I'm going to be actually touching upon that in our, in our study on Sunday morning for the next couple of weeks uh, to give you all a, a little bit of a foundation before all of this takes place because I don't want you all to be like, what's this all about, you know? So I want, I want you to all know what it's all about. So I'm going to make that very clear this weekend. So given all of those issues, we'll get that out there, but we want you to uh, do everything, especially since we're studying right now the book of Revelation on Wednesday night, and and we're seeing what's happening in the world today, and and, uh, and 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 really the deceptions that we're seeing in the church that are taking place are, you know, drawing people away from the Word of God, and we certainly, you know, want to continue to stay faithful to the Word of God, especially in the last days. So we encourage you to to come and learn as much as you can about uh, the issues that we'll be dealing with. Again, I think Sunday will be a very important day so that we can really know uh, what some of these topics are going to be so that uh, you can invite friends and family that may have questions about these things. And uh, then the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, that um, I don't think it's too late. I think we still may need some people to help out on Friday for, for the, uh, uh, the golf tournaments going to be taking place. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you know, see uh, Pastor Sean uh, afterwards and let them know that you might be able to help <clears throat> on, on Friday. Uh, I believe it starts at noon, and uh, the, all the proceeds are going to go to the uh, James R. Ganley School in Juarez at uh, uh, Fred and, uh, I'm sorry, not Fred, uh, Gilbert and Maria Garcia are uh, 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 the school that they run there in Juarez. Okay, and then also real quickly, uh, there's still some room for those that are still interested in going to Israel in March. Uh, so if I haven't mentioned in a while, but I didn't want you to think that, you know, uh, the opportunities are not there. If you wanted to go, we still have some space available. So please let me know immediately that uh, you're interested in going. The dates are March the 9th through March the 20th. And it involves one of the weeks of of spring break. So uh, if you have to... Uh, need to take a week off there and a few days from the next week. It'll work out. All right, Revelation chapter 12. Let's, let's get there. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to conclude our study in, ch- in chapter 12 tonight. So let's uh, go down to verse 13. I want to read this and then we're going to get right into our study tonight. Okay? Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. That's the rest of the chapter. Now, when the dragon saw 
that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. I forgot that verse is kind of long, so I had two slides for that. Verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we continue on in our study of the book of Revelation, we realize the depth and the seriousness of all of the things that we see that are yet to happen, yet to take place. And yet as we look around the world today, we see that things are falling into place for all of these things that we are studying to happen. What it should do to us, Lord, is to stir our hearts about where we stand with you, about what we're doing, Lord God, to further the kingdom of God, to further the kingdom of Christ, to shine the light of the glory of Christ from our lives into the hearts and lives of others. as we see the day approaching, as we see things in this world getting worse and worse and not better, Lord, we pray for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit upon all who are here this evening that we will truly begin to understand, Lord, the gravity of the situation and of the times in which we live. If Jesus saw it important for his disciples 2,000 years ago, how much more for us who are at the brink of all of these things taking place. So Lord, we pray for that wisdom and understanding to be made clear to us tonight through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In our last study we saw... We saw war break out in heaven between Michael and the angelic hosts of heaven against Satan and his demonic forces. It is during this battle that Satan had his dominion, or I should say his demonic host, to be cast out of heaven to the earth. It's during that particular battle that he is yet to come, as it were. The Satan will be actually cast out of heaven with his demons. No longer will he be able to accuse the brethren before our great and loving Father. But with Satan being cast to the earth, we see the repercussions that will 
ensue because of it. And certainly, we realize that even in the days and times in which we live, uh, the enemy is alive and well and doing all kinds of things and causing all kinds of havoc in this world, both geopolitically and, and otherwise. But when you look at the first, or I should say the last half of, of verse 12, going back just a verse from our text. We see one of the great woes that is pronounced to the unbelieving inhabitants of the earth. The, per, the first part of the verse, of course, deals uh, with what is happening in heaven as, after this battle is ended and, and Satan and his forces are kicked out of heaven. It says, therefore they have, uh, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And then it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. So while there is rejoicing over what has taken place, yet there is still a pronouncement of of warning, a pronouncement of judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now, the period of time that we're dealing with is known as the Great Tribulation Period or the time of Jacob's trouble. It speaks of the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. And so this war that began in heaven between Michael and his angels against Satan and his forces will continue on earth. So in a greater sense, what even though there's a, a lot of things that Satan is allowed to do now, uh, there's going to be all-out war, actually, that he's going to bring to this earth. Now you have to understand something. You have to understand that for nearly 6,000 years, Satan has been upset with God. Can you understand that? For 6,000 years almost, Satan has been upset with God. And he wants to be where God is. And he wants to have the glory that God gets. And he wants to have the praise that God's people give to God. But it isn't going to happen. And so as we saw last time, Satan has done everything he can to destroy, first of all, the Messiah. You go through the whole of the Old Testament, from, from Genesis to Malachi. And there are countless attempts of trying to stop the line that reaches from Genesis 3.15 and the seed of the woman, which of course begins with Adam, Eve, and then Seth, through Noah, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, down through the line of Judah, And then all the kings that come out of that priestly tribe, or I'm sorry, the kingly tribe, priestly tribe is Levi, but the the, the kingly tribe, or the royal tribe, eventually to David, who is the king, the true king of Israel, not Saul, Saul was the king that the people wanted, David was the true king, Saul was not from the line of Judah, David was. 
So you see, all along, when you read and study the kings, what Satan has tried to do to stop that. You get to the New Testament, and Satan uses Herod to try to get rid of Jesus. Killing all the Hebrew children of uh, children, uh, Hebrew males of, of two years and under. Through all kinds of people at Jesus along the, you know, that we see along the way in the Gospels. To destroy him before getting to the cross. Now, Satan may have thought by Jesus going to the cross. That was it. Finally, the Messiah is destroyed. But you know, when you are so angry with God, you get blinded to truth. And Satan was never of the truth anyway, was he? Because Jesus said he was a liar from the very beginning. And Jesus rose as he kept telling his disciples time and time again, I'm going to rise again on the third day, and he did. So now you can't destroy Jesus because now Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. So who does he go after? He goes after Israel, as we'll see tonight. And I'll, and, and, and I'll pick up with this thought. But I just want you to see what Satan has been doing or trying to do for 6,000 years. So the anger intensifies and it turns into wrath and, and he goes after Israel. He, he's actually bold enough to go after the angels of God in heaven as we saw last time but now Satan is going to fight against that nation of Israel and all those who refuse to worship him remember what has happened so far two witnesses have appeared who have preached Christ the Messiah at the very door of, of the new temple that is yet to be built. And many Jews will come to Christ and the knowledge of Christ, but so will many Gentiles too. Because somewhere inside they had heard, they had listened, but they didn't pay attention and they didn't do anything until now and they see everything fall into place. Tribulation saints will arise Many of them will lose their lives because they are going to follow Christ against the wishes of the servant of Satan, which is Antichrist. And midway through the tribulation period, at the three and a half year period or point, Antichrist goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God and declares worship to be given to him. But people will refuse. And it is going to be a time that is unparalleled in human history. And of this time, Jesus said of this, he, or Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said in verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation. This is a time that Jesus is talking about. There will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So that is talking about even a greater tribulation than whatever was taking place before the flood. And even after the flood, 
after Babel. And if you go down through history, even after the horrendous activities of people throughout the ages, such as the Holocaust and all, even worse than that, he says, such as has not been since the beginning of the time of the world until this time, nor never, nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. If God wasn't in control at that point and He just walked away, everything would destroy itself. Man would destroy himself. Satan would have a major part in doing that, but man would destroy themselves. And, and, and so then He says, well, we didn't say that. It says, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So that phrase, for the elect's sake, is speaking of the nation of Israel. Now, I know we can sit down and say, well, doesn't it talk about the church? The church isn't here. It could be speaking of those who have become believers. Certainly they can be included in this. But it is speaking primarily of the nation of Israel. And that is what Revelation 12 is all about. We said that two, three weeks ago when we started. When we uh, continued on last time. And now as we're finishing. So as we've seen throughout this whole study. The focal point is the nation of Israel. Now, now notice if you will. What the Lord said to Jeremiah. Regarding the nation of Israel. Returning to the land. Which occurred by the way officially. On May the 14th, 1948. Now. That now that they're in the land, the time of Jacob's trouble can occur in fulfillment of the 70th week of Daniel. We've talked about that. I don't have time to go back, but it's Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Uh, and certainly it can take place after the rapture of the church. But this is the prophecy. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30 and listen and read what it says. It says, The word of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. There was a near fulfillment but there is also a far fulfillment. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Now these are words to give us an indication that we're dealing with a time <clears throat> that we have been speaking about throughout our, 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 our time in the book of Revelation, going even all the way back to chapter 4 when we were introduced to uh, the four horsemen and primarily the first horseman which was the rider of the white horse who was wearing white linen and, 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 and carrying a bow but without any arrows what, what did that represent? here's a guy that uh, has a weapon of war but he doesn't have any arrows so that kind of represents a false peace so now we see some connection to that. Thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, a voice of uh, fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is, Eve, is ever in labor with child. Now, 
again, this is language that points beyond the near fulfillment of the scriptures and points to the final days because Jesus uses the same terminology. So he's not talking about what was fulfilled when, when uh, Judah returned out of captivity from Babylon, which was a, 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 a type of that same uh, event that's coming. So the language is pointing forward. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? Alas, he says, for that day is great so that none is like it. What did Jesus say? There's not going to be a day like this. So there have been all kinds of things happened since the prophecy to Israel, but not like what Jesus prophesied that is yet to come. That's, that hasn't happened yet, has it? A lot of bad things have happened. A lot of judgment has happened, but not to this degree. So now we see how the far fulfillment is before us. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Well, there has yet to be a time when Israel is united once again to where all of Israel can be related to Jacob and his trouble. And we've been studying whom on, Gen- uh, on Sundays in Genesis? Jacob, right? We've been, uh, we spent a lot of time. I didn't work that out. I think the Lord did. It was the bringing forth of the nation of Israel out of Jacob. <clears throat> and, and, and the word Jacob usually reminds us that here was a nation that really needed God. Because Jacob, you know, it isn't until toward the end of his life that he really becomes Israel as God named him. So anytime we see Jacob, it just says here, here's a nation that is yet in uh, having to be governed by God. But yet God still loves them and God still is doing things to bring them to his uh to saving knowledge. And then it says, For it shall come to pass in that day, the phrase in that day, as we've been studying prophecy, is significant because it speaks of the day of the Lord, which is yet to come. Hasn't happened. It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. <clears throat> will it be David? Because David was before Jeremiah, wasn't he? Yeah, okay. That was a test. Uh, somebody passed. I heard somebody say yes. Okay. Uh, David was before the prophets, Jeremiah. So what is it speaking of? Who? Jesus. Because who sits on the, on the throne of David? The Messiah. And who's the Messiah? Jesus. So they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Well, who does he raise up? Jesus. (laughs) All right. Have we got it? (laughs) All right. Now jump down if you're in Jeremiah 30, down to verse 22. It says, you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is God's promise. He hasn't given up on them. See? The world has given up on Israel. The church, some parts of the church have given up on Israel. They don't believe that the Israel that is in the land is the true Israel, but there has to be. Who else can it be? Oh, they say all the promises given to Israel now belong to the church. I don't want some of their promises. Do you? 
I, I don't want any of those promises where, you know, I mean, he's going to come down with all kinds of stuff on him and all these things. Are happening. There's no way. It doesn't fit. You'll see this in a moment as we study uh, through this last portion of, of, of Revelation 12. And then verse 23, Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with a fury. What, are the, what is the terminology about? Judgment. Whirlwinds. Fury. Uh, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. Why? Because they have come against the people of God. Israel. And then verse 24, The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until He has done it and until He has performed the intents of His heart. In the latter days you will consider it. In the latter days. Ah, there's the key. This is what we're talking about. The latter days. And so this last seven year period of time will come to pass in the latter days. And some of the results will be that Israel will return to their God and Jesus, their Messiah, will sit on the throne of David, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. But before that happens, a war breaks out on earth. So let's go back to our text, verse 13. Now when the dragon, who's the dragon? The serpent of old, he is Satan. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Is it the church? Is it the church? No. Is it Israel? Yes. Okay. See, people say, well, the woman is the church. It can't be the church. It can't be the church. It has to be Israel. We already, we already studied that because we went back to the prophecy uh, that was given by Joseph, if you remember. Uh, that was earlier on. If you weren't here, you need to get to the CD. Uh, and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Who gave birth to the male child? Wasn't the church. Why? The church actually is born out of the knowledge of Christ. Christ is not born out of the church. So there's, there's a big misunderstanding. I've even read one, one commentator that said the first six verses of chapter 12 uh, is, it's, it's, it's Israel, but then from seven on, it's the, it's, it's the church. I don't understand that kind of thinking. Because you see, prophetically, everything is consistent. Okay, so we know who this is. We know who all the characters are. Uh, okay, we're not going on. All right. Satan can no longer persecute the male child. We talked about that. Why? Because Jesus already gained the victory over Satan on the cross. He completed that work on the cross. Remember what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. So, but that doesn't stop Satan from going after the woman who gave birth to the child, which is the nation Israel. Now, it is somewhat disconcerting, as I said, that some biblical commentators still try to make this woman the church. The major part of the problem of this problem is that these commentators do not want to believe that the church is raptured before the beginning of the tribulation period. But they are disregarding the focus that needs to be placed on the nation of Israel in Bible prophecy, which they also have a problem with. They don't want to believe that this is Israel. You know, so how are you going to make it all just become symbolic? You can't. It has to be real. It has to be literal. So why then is Satan attacking the Jewish people? See, this is relative to what we're studying. This is also relevant. 
It is a very relevant issue that we're dealing with because Israel today is surrounded by nations that want to destroy them and has been for the last 60 some years. God has his hand on that nation. God had his hand on that nation on May the 15th of 1948 because that was the day that all those Arab nations decided to attack Israel to destroy them. And God protected them. And in 1956, the same thing happened. And in 1967, the same thing happened. And in 1973, the same thing happened. And it's been happening uh, in in many different ways over the past 60-some years. Are we missing something? If we're not paying attention to the Word of God, we're missing everything. We have to remember that from the time of Abraham, Israel has had a critical role in God's plan of redemption. No Israel, no Messiah. Simple, right? No Israel, no Messiah. Israel was to bring forth the Messiah and the Redeemer of Israel of all and of all who believe. And then it was in the fulfillment of his plan because the Lord Jesus promised that the Jewish people would exist and welcome him when he, when he returns in glory to this earth. It's got to be because Jesus prophesied that. Look at Matthew 23. What does Jesus say? Oh, El Paso, El Paso. Oh, New York, New York. I know there's a song by that name. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Who is he weeping for, folks? His very own people. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you, you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate, is left to you desolate, empty, completely empty at that time. Verse 39 is there. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till. Ah, that's a very important word. You shall see me no more till you say. Who's he speaking to? Israel. Till you say. You know that he doesn't say, it doesn't say, you shall see me no more, period. Do you see a period there? I don't see one. I see the word till. You see me no more till you say. You will say this. As a nation is what he's saying. As a nation you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. I wish people would just read the Bible. And they would learn so much. By the way, why would Jesus have to say this to the church? If, if we no longer, you know, if, 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 if Israel no longer existed, really, and the Israel that's in, in the land is not the true Israel, and, and the church is getting all the blessings, why, why then would Jesus have to say this to us? You see how foolish that is? It's irrational. To discount Israel and to say that the church now receives the blessings of Israel because you cannot finish 
and complete the plan of redemption over all if we all of a sudden redefine the terms. And so if Satan were to succeed in destroying the Jewish people, listen, then God's eternal plan would be thwarted. He says, you will see me again. And you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Hashem Adonai Eloheinu. You will see and you will proclaim. Satan's intention is to hinder and to upset the work of God. For 6,000 years, that's what he's been trying to do. To upset the work of God. And Israel is hated. Listen, Israel is hated simply because she is chosen by God and essential to the overall purpose of our Lord and God for all of time and eternity. That's why the Lord is going to redeem Israel. That is why He is going to restore Israel. That's why it's already started. That's why there's a little, little strip of land no bigger than the, the state of New Jersey. That's only 1.1, or it's actually 0.1% of all of the Middle East lands. And God has His hand over them. That's how much God loves His people. He's not done with them. Alright, verse 14, we've got to move on. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Would, would anybody consider that this is somewhat symbolic? I'm not trying to trick you. Not a trick question. It is symbolic, isn't it? So somewhat. Yet it's talking about a real event. Remember that. So then it says, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time. What does that mean? A time and times and a half a time. What is it? Three and a half years. All right. We're getting it. From the presence of the serpent. She's going to be nursed and taken care of from the presence of the serpent for three and a half years. This particular remnant of the woman. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But this verse resumes the narrative, if you remember back in verse 6, where it was interrupted. Because back in verse 6 it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness. Remember this? Where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Which is just another way of saying a time and times and half a time. Or three and a half years. And... Uh, in verse 14, now when you connect those two thoughts, we're given quite an illustration of God providing an airlift for Israel's escape from the dragon, Satan. An airlift. Remember that this chapter is the chapter of great things. There was a great dragon, and now there's a great eagle, as it says. There's this great eagle in our text. Well, in the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24, and we've been there already today, Jesus spoke specifically to the nation of Israel. Now, again, listen carefully to what I'm saying, because I'm not saying this just to say things. I'm saying this with purpose. Jesus spoke to the nation of Israel that when they would see the blasphemy take place in the temple by the Antichrist, something's going to happen. So you go back to Matthew 24, verse 15, and notice what Jesus said. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, 
spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, go back to the book of Daniel and see where it talks about the abomination of desolation when this Antichrist is going to enter into the temple and desecrate the temple with his presence, probably bring something that's unclean to it, but there sit down and proclaim himself to be God and and a person to be worshipped. When you see this, and there have been some uh, forerunners of that, of course, Antiochus Epiphanes, in the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament, about 200 years before Christ's uh, birth. There was somebody who did that. That was the uh, beginnings of, of that uh, uh, great feast of Hanukkah, the, the, the Feast of Lights. Uh, we, we'll talk about that in a couple of months when we get to December. But um, when that takes place, so, so he's speaking to Israel. And then he says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Notice it doesn't say let those, let those who are in Los Angeles flee to the mountains. We don't see that, do we? Let those who live in Rome flee to the mountains. No, it says those who live in Judea. Where is Judea? That's in Israel. Southern Israel. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. How many of you live on your roofs? Anybody? You know that in Israel they, they actually live on their roofs. Uh, they, they, many times they sleep outside on their roofs because it's so warm sometimes. And then it, it says, And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight, that's an interesting word, that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then, notice, these are the words of Jesus to Israel. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. I think that the description that Jesus himself gives us is pretty clear. To whom he speaks and to what issue he speaks of. Quite clear. Now, in our text, John tells us that those who flee to the mountains will be given wings as an eagle and transported to their safety. Some say that this is speaking of an airplane or maybe an airlift of of, of a number of airplanes that will take them to the wilderness, which, by the way, could happen. It's happened before. There have been all kinds of other airlifts in history. So it's not an impossibility. Some say uh, that uh, uh, they'll be taken to the wilderness this way. Well, could again be possible, but it is more descriptive. This great eagle being described is more descriptive of God's provision and miraculous swiftness in which he will help them escape the clutches of Antichrist. And I want you to remember that after Israel's exodus from Egypt, back in the time of Moses, God reminded the people in Exodus 19 verse 4, God reminded the people, He said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on what? Eagle's wings and brought you to Myself. I bore you on eagle's wings. 
There's a reference to that in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 11 and 12. It says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. The description of an eagle hovering, caring for, watching over. This passage speaks of God's loving care and protection of His people Israel. He'll be flying under their feet as a mother eagle would fly under her eaglet with her wings spread out to catch them and help them to learn to fly while protecting and watching over them. He will bring them to a place of safety, helping their faith to grow. Is that not what He does with us? Even today? Aren't you really glad that Jesus said, I'm not going to let you go out there without a net. I'll be your net. I'll be your eagle. I'll catch you when you fall. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you hit that net a few times? Thankful that it was there. That was God's hand. That was God's wing. He caught you, taught you a lesson. Now, I've mentioned in a previous study dealing with verse 6 that Israel would be taken to Petra or to Selah, as is another word, in, another word in Hebrew for Petra, which is in modern-day Jordan. Now, we looked at a few scriptures that mentioned Edom and Moab and Mount Seir the last time, along with the prominent people of Ammon. These form the boundaries of modern-day Jordan. Petra is situated in a valley which is surrounded by almost impassable mountain cliffs with only a narrow gorge or entrance to get through. Now, when we go to Israel, we always see the mountains of Mount Seir and of Edom. So we're, we're relatively close. Now, depending on whether the Jordanian government, you know, I guess they still do allow visas to go into, into Jordan. And you can actually go to, uh, some people have gone to Petra to see it. But uh, usually we don't do that, but I think it's still possible. Nonetheless, uh, it's, it's just this very, very large canyon area that, actually could probably hold about uh, maybe a million to a million and a half people in, in this, this gorge where Petra is. So that's a lot of people. And you'll see some numbers here in just a minute that will make some sense to you. Uh, let me give you one more scripture reference to help substantiate the location that is mentioned. If you'll go to Psalm 60, verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses. Actually, you can read the whole thing, but we're just going to read a few verses. Verses 1 through 3. O oh God, you have cast us off, you have broken us down, you have been displeased, O oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble, you have broken it, heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things, you have made us drink the wine of confusion. Now, jump down to verse 9, and it says, who will bring me to the strong city? Notice this. The language of a representative of Israel says, Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Where is that? On the, in what is modern Jordan? Who will bring me to Edom? Is it not you, O God? Whoops, verse 10. Where am I? Oh, who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with your armies... Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Though God, we will, uh, through God, I'm sorry, we will do valiantly, for it is He who shall tread down 
our enemies. So that particular psalm is very descriptive prophetically about the place where Israel is going to be going during this time of tribulation, which is the last half of the tribulation period when all hell is really breaking loose on the earth. Now Israel may know this already, but man's help will be futile. The psalmist said so. Man's help is useless. Especially during the time of the tribulation, man's help is useless. Because it's Satan and his demons that are fighting this battle against God. And to destroy Israel. So man's help is going to be futile. So God will give them eagle's wings. His protection. His flight. His escape. But don't think that this will stop Antichrist from coming after them. And coming against them. Let's read on. Verses 15 and 16 of our text. Revelation 12, 15. So the serpent. Notice what it says. Again, understand this is, this is figurative or, or uh, symbolic language of something that is going to happen. Yet to happen. But it's symbolic. So we have to understand it a little bit that way. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Stop for a moment and think about this. When God speaks to us, He speaks the water of life. When Satan speaks out of his mouth, He speaks waters of death. Do you see the tremendous difference between the God of life and the one who brings death? So here we see that the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the, but the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Which reminds us of one major thing. God is still in control of the earth. God is, is still in control of all things. But certainly the words like a flood indicate symbolic language, figurative language. While this flood may be a flood of evil propaganda issuing forth from the mouth of Satan and the Antichrist, it does represent the overwhelming powers of destruction against the people of God as described for, uh, for us in Psalm 124. So I want you to see verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 124. And here the psalmist says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. You know what? I would underline this in your Bibles. If it were not the Lord, or if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. What is that saying? It's saying to us that the the Lord God is on our side, but He's also on the side of His people Israel. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. Notice, let Israel say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Does that sound like what we just read in in, in Revelation 12? When their wrath was kindled against us. And then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. 
And then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. I think you're beginning to see how the scriptures tie themselves to each other to complement the reliability of all of the scriptures about the nation of Israel. But consider also that this flood may very well be the armies of the Antichrist that go after Israel because they refuse to worship the Antichrist. And they are referred as a flood, by the way, in Isaiah. They are referred as a flood in Isaiah 59, verses 19 and 20. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy, notice, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And verse 20 now of Isaiah 59 is so significant because it follows, it follows what happens in verse 19 which is the attack against Israel, which happens before the coming of Jesus to redeem Israel, whose feet will land upon the Mount of Olives. And when he does look at the eastern gate of the, of, of the wall that surrounds the city of Jerusalem, the wall, uh, the, first of all, the, the, the valley there will split wide open and the wall will be taken down and Jesus will enter in. And, 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 and this is the description. The Redeemer will come to Zion. Where is Zion? Is that in New York? It's in, it's Jerusalem. Zion is Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem and to Zion and to those who tr- turn from transgression in Jacob says the Lord. He will come to those who turn from transgression to Jacob. Those who turn to the Lord in Israel. The fact that verse 20 is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ to redeem Israel places this event in the right time frame. And the view is supported, by the way, the view is supported by the Apostle Paul as well in Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. When Paul is dealing with the issue of the nation of Israel, he says, so all Israel will be saved as it is written. And he uses Isaiah 59, verse 20. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. That is why Jesus comes. And he comes to redeem. And he comes to rescue. And he comes to turn sin away. And so by divine intervention, God raises up a standard against the enemy of his people because if God wasn't on their side, the Antichrist and his armies would swallow them up like the waters of a raging river. If God wasn't on their side, God has always been on the uh, the side of Israel. The problem has been that Israel hasn't always been on the side of their own God. But it is the Lord who will swallow the enemy up. It is the Lord who will swallow the enemy up. Do you, do you remember the song of Moses from Exodus chapter 15 after they escaped the armies of Pharaoh? 
And God commands Moses to stand with his rod over, over the Red Sea. And the sea parts. It really wasn't Charlton Heston. It really was Moses. And the sea parted. And he held the rod while all the people passed through. And as soon as they all got to the other side... The armies and the chariots of Pharaoh came into that same area and the waters came upon them and swallowed up the enemy. And, and there was a song that came out of this. It's Exodus 15. Read the whole chapter, if you will. But notice verses because of time. Oh, I forgot that one, didn't I? I'm sorry. But this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is my covenant with Israel when I take away their sins. Okay, when we get to Exodus 15, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. This is what God will consistently and constantly do for His people. Again, this shows us what? It shows us how much God loves His people. Yes, He has had to discipline them. Yes, He has had to put them into captivity. Yes, He has had to punish them. Yes, He has had to do all of these things to wake them up. To know that He is their God and that He has loved them with an everlasting love and He has provided a covenant that cannot be broken. He goes to that extreme for them as He did for us when He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to the cross, which we ourselves could never have been able to get on and pay for sins for ourselves because we were deathly sinners. Only Jesus took the place of every sinner on that cross. And who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We don't clean ourselves up, do we? We can't. Jesus did it already. But as we shall see, Satan, in his maniacal, insane, and utterly depraved way, I mean, he has to be crazy, folks. And I don't say that jokingly. I really say that he is insane. Satan. He's just not giving up. Having deceived himself into thinking that he still has a chance to overthrow God's work. So that's why we see in verse 17, and we close with this tonight. The dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wow! It has been said that when Satan has lost the battle for the souls of the saints, he begins the fruitless persecution of their bodies. How true that seems to be here. If he cannot destroy one group of people, then he'll go after the ones that he can. Those who remain in Jerusalem. He will go after believers, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, thanks to the preaching of the 144,000 witnesses and the two witnesses that were at the temple. I'm sure this is not limited to just Jewish converts, but to all that refuse to worship Antichrist. 
I know that we have, uh, we, we have yet to talk about things like the mark of the beast and 666 and all of these other things. Those are, those are things coming up. Not, not too far from now. Not too long from now. But even still, the main focus that we're, we've been given is in the nation of Israel and specifically in the city of Jerusalem. So many people have come to Jerusalem. You go there, as a matter of fact, when we go, well, we're, we, you know, we have pa- uh, Amer- uh, U.S. passports. <laughs> but there are people from every country that go there. And there will be people from every country there along with the Jews. And many people will come to know Jesus Christ while there when this time is taking place. The church won't be there anymore. The true church. Maybe some of those churches that have buildings over there who think that they're the true church. They're not. Because they don't believe in the only begotten Son of God. They believe in a lot of other things. They kind of add things to the scriptures. You can't do that. So, there are some painful statistics that we need to see before we close here today. But the statistics are not things that we'll get out of the paper or or magazines. It's, It's right out of the Word of God. It's in Zechariah. And these things will transpire during the time of the Great Tribulation. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass in all the land. So what are we talking about? The land of Israel. It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die but one-third shall be left in it. Now that's painful, isn't it? Two-thirds of the inhabitants of the land will die, and one-third will remain. May I offer this suggestion that the one-third is the group that is carried to the safe place in Petra. If it's anywhere between 1.2 and 1.5 million, then, then the, the numbers seem to be about right because of the population of Israel today being anywhere from, I think they said between 4 and 7 million. But still, the, the, wherever it is that they're going, it's going to be big enough to hold that many people. Verse 9 says, and it's a long verse, I will bring the one-third through the fire. Notice. We'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Haven't we read a verse like that today already? That's another significant point. There's so much consistency in the word of God from prophet to prophet in time past in time present and time future. The Word of God is indeed very reliable because it is perfect. The manuscripts, the, 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 the original manuscripts that were written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are perfect because they came inspired by God. We've seen in our study of Revelation chapter 12 the introduction of some of the key players in the Great Tribulation period. Israel, Satan, Christ, Jesus, the child, Michael, 
the archangel, the godly remnant. But as we move into chapter 13 next time, we're going to be introduced to two more key players of this time. The beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And as you will see, these players are not on God's side, but they are representatives of Satan. So I just want to encourage you as we close tonight to be strong, to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, as Paul said in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's verse 10. Tells us to put on the armor of God. You know that the only people that can put on the armor of God are believers in Jesus Christ. Because we understand. God's given us the wisdom to understand why it is important to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and to have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then we're told we need to put it on every day. Every day. But let me close with these words because I want them to kind of tie us into what we're going to be coming to learn pretty soon about white is the gate and our conference is coming up in November. It's Colossians 2 verses 8 through 10. Beware, and this is a message to the church, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead. For in Him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. You, believer in Jesus Christ, are complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. We've talked a lot about principalities and powers tonight, but guess who's the head? Jesus. Who's in control? Jesus. Who's coming again? Jesus. Who's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem? Jesus. Who's going to reign for a thousand years before the new heaven and the new earth are presented? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And He loves Israel. And He loves His people. So much so that He died for them. And we came along for the ride. Because He loves us too. And He gave us an opportunity to know Him. I hope you know Him. I hope these things become very relative to the times in which we live and relevant to the days that we see ahead of us. Sha'alu shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's something we're told to do every day. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray.